Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 8th, 2023, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, More Than Enough, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Enjoy. Familiar story for many of you. In fact, if you've grown up in the church or you've been to a VBS in your life or different things, this is a story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's a story that is told over and over and over again throughout the history of the church, and yet today we're going to look at an old story and maybe look at it from a different perspective, because though this miracle impacted 5,000, I think it was absolutely meant to impact just 12 men in a very specific way, and so we're going to see that in just a little bit. But before we do, I'll set it up for you this way, because where Jesus is going to go, and I think what he wants for his guys is, is very similar to an experience that many of us have had. Uh, I'll share the, with you the one that was, was true for me in my life and still has impact today. Uh, I got married when I was very young. I was 20 years old. My wife was 19. Everyone told us, you're too young, don't get married. And we said, we're in love. We're going to do it anyway. And so we did. We took our two quarters we had, 50 cents, and we lived life on love and a nickel. I mean, we had nothing. Our first apartment, I think, was about the size of this drum cage back here. And, and we, we just did life. I was working two jobs, both full-time. I was an intern here at the church. I was going to school. I mean, we were just doing anything we could to get by. I came home from work one night, and Brooke told me, hey, congratulations. You're going to be a father. And I went, whoa, what? (laughs) Everything I was afraid of, everything everyone had told me, don't get married, you're too young, you're not going to be able to make it, it's going to be too difficult, was all coming true in that moment. I could barely provide for myself and my wife. How am I going to provide for another child? And so I just went into full-on panic mode and did everything I could just trying to get ahead. I took extra shifts. I just worked all the time trying to get money, trying to get money, trying to get money, all because I knew when we go into the hospital and we have this baby, they're going to look at me and go, all right, sir, here's your bill. We're not giving you your kid until you pay this. And I thought, all right, what do I got to do? And I, man, so I was worried. And every time we'd get ahead, something good would happen. We'd get ahead a little bit. Man, flat tire, 400 bucks. Battery would go dead in the car, money out. Cavities in in our teeth, we had to pay to get those filled. Every time we'd get a little bit ahead, it was like we just got taken away. So I'm driving here, actually, uh, to to our old campus when Brooke called me and said, hey, it's time. You gotta meet me at the hospital. So I get to the hospital. A couple hours later, it was a whirlwind of, of, of chaos. But out comes my little girl, Madison. And the doctors hand me this little thing bundled up in this pink and blue blanket. And I would love to tell you, I looked at her and said, oh, everything's going to be all right. All I could do is look and go, I have no idea how I'm going to take care of you. I don't even know if they're going to let me take you home. Because we don't have anything. And all I could feel in that moment was, one, fear for my daughter. If I'm honest with you, it was a lot of, uh, I don't know, shame and guilt, because all I could hear were all the people telling me, you're too young to get married, this isn't going to go well, you should wait. And all I could hear was all of them going, you're absolutely right, we are in a bad spot. We're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to dig out of the debt that we have found ourselves in. And so with all of these thoughts going through my head and my wife just blessed beyond blessed to be a mom and me terrified as could be. We spend the next day and a half in the hospital and the nurses come in and say, all right, guys, it's it's time. You're going to be discharged. 
And so we begin to pack stuff up and then there's a knock on the door. And in comes a guy with a clipboard. I don't remember his name. We're going to go with Steve. (laughs) I'm Steve from Billing. And I just remember going, oh, here it is. And Steve begins to go through page after page of things that had taken place in the last, really, 48 hours of our lives. You got this, you got this, and one night in the hospital, and da 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 And at the end, he gets it all done. He goes, I just need you to sign here, which I do. And then he says, well, it looks like after all of this, you have a copay of $10. How would you like to take care of that? Now, guys, to this day, I don't know if we had the most ridiculous insurance on the planet. I don't know if Steve lost his job an hour later because he totally screwed that up. Or if somebody that I don't know just said, hey, pay the bill. And, you know. But I pulled a $10 bill that I had received from a Canadian family two days before at my job at Orange Tree out of my pocket, and I handed it to Steve. And then I slowly walked away, and I told Brooke, grab Maddie, get her in the seat, let's get out of here before they realize what they did. We got her home, and it has been an adventure ever since. But guys, can I tell you, my, my daughter, Madison Faith Yule, is a walking example to me, a daily reminder to me that when I got nothing, and I got no options, and I got no ideas, and I basically go, God, I can't do this, she's a reminder to me that God's going, but Kevin, I got you. I got you. I'm in the business of providing abundantly and doing things that don't make sense. And so when I look at Maddie, that's what I think as we're about to hear a story of 12 men that are gonna be asked to do the impossible, feed these people, and they're gonna look at Jesus and go, we don't have anything, how are we gonna do that? Here's my prayer for us as a church family that we might begin to recognize and just begin to pray and think through, is there anything like that in our life right now? Is there anything in our life, our world right now that the God of the universe is saying, here is what I'm asking of you? And if we are honest, we might look at God and go, God, that is impossible. I can't do that. God goes, that's exactly why. You can't do it, but watch what I can do. And that he might meet us in that moment. So I don't know what it might be for you. For some I talked to earlier, they identify it real quick. It's a relationship with somebody that they have long since turned on and said, there's no way I could ever forgive. I'll never forgive them. And I'm going to hold on to this bitterness until God calls me home, but I'm not letting it up. And for them, it was that, that they need to let that go. Say, God, I can't do this on my own, but here it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a health issue. As you're going to hear from me in just a little bit, it's a a journey with our family that is really difficult and challenging right now. But whatever it is, can we this morning in this place say, God, here it is. And though I don't necessarily know how it's all going to go, I can trust in who you are, as we just got done singing about. I can trust in your goodness. Whether I see it or not, you are good because of who you are and what I know your word to say. That's where I think Jesus is going to go today. And Jesus is going to give his guys 12 little reminders to carry around of who he is and how great and powerful he is. So let me pray for us, and then we will dive into our time in the word this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the promises that it shares. Thank you for the way in which it defines me and my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for the way in which you see us through the lens of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, this morning, you know my heart, my prayer for myself. God, I would lay the same request for all of my friends here, God, that we would, in honesty and sincerity, 
and just conviction between you and the Holy Spirit, God, whatever you are stirring up in us, would you give us the courage to leave that here in this place, to trust you, and God, even to trust you at times where we don't see a way out and we have nothing else to offer, God, that in those moments you would prove yourself over and over and over again to be our good Father and to meet us right where we're at. So lead our conversation this morning. God, certainly teach us through your word, and we'll thank you in advance for anything you choose to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Let me, let me set it up for you. In fact, let me set it up for you this way. If you were here last week, you remember Bob talked about Jesus sends his guys out. He's just sent these 12 guys out to go preach the kingdom of God and heal and cast out demons. So you put yourself in this, this position. You were a fisherman, blue-collar guy. All you did was just grind each and every day, and all of a sudden, Jesus goes, you, come follow me. And a couple of weeks later, or months later, you are out healing people, blind people that have been blind their whole life. In the name of Jesus, you are giving them the ability to see. Imagine what that experience was like for these guys. Things that we still read about today and go, man, what would that have been like? They lived it. They did it. Here's where I want you to hold on to that. They lived it and they did it. And yet when God asks them to do something, even they still doubted. So for any of you here in this room that are looking at something in front of you and going, that seems impossible and I don't even think God can do it. Though that's not where God wants to keep us, just know that you are in, in company with the rest of these disciples that walked face to face with Jesus and still wrestled with some of these things. Because they come back, chapter nine, verse 10 says this, on their return from doing all of this stuff, on their return, the apostles, they begin to tell him, Jesus, all that they had done. You could just see them. You're not gonna believe it. Remember when you healed that guy? We got to do the same thing, and they're all excited. And it's like Jesus is going, all right, all right, all right, all right. This is a lot. Let's do this. Let's sneak away. I want to hear all of your stories, but let's get away from all these people because there's a lot of folks here. Let's go sneak away, just us. So that's what he begins to do. So he took them, and they withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida, a little tiny, no-nothing, not even a town, more of just like a village out in the middle of nowhere. Think of like... Uh, uh, if you're ever driving to L.A., that one truck stop where there's like a gas station and that's it, this is, this is where they are. But when the crowds, verse 11, they learned about where they had gone, they followed him. And Jesus, never turning away an opportunity, he welcomed them all and he began to speak, he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. Similar story that we've seen over and over and over again. Jesus is off with his guys, and then here come the crowds, and because he is a compassionate God, he has compassion on the crowds, he begins to heal their immediate needs, their felt needs, healing their diseases, and teaching them of the kingdom of God. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away, and the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away, that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Really, not a, a, a bad request, right? Hey, are you guys hungry? We're hungry. These people gotta be starving. Somebody go tell Jesus to like shut this show down for a little bit so people can go get something to eat and we'll pick it up tomorrow. And so they come over to him and go, hey, why don't you send everybody away? They need to get something to eat. We can do all this again tomorrow. This is a great spot. Have everyone come back. She says, okay, you're right. They are hungry. They do need food. 
What does he say? Verse 13, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this to them. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. We're going to learn in just a moment that there are 5,000 men sitting in front of this group of 12 guys. 5,000. Just men. Probably more, but we're going to go with what the word says. 5,000 men sitting there. Jesus looks at these guys and goes, hey, why don't you give them something to eat? Here's their reply. Verse 13, they said this, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. We have no more than. To me, this is, again, what I'm asking you to interact with on those sheets that you grab. If you're a note taker, you can fill this out. The question is this, I have no more than. What is your I have no more than moment? Because here are the disciples being asked to do the impossible and they look at what they have and they go, we can't because all we have is this. If that's where God's got you this morning, I want you to lay word, put word to it, lay claim to it, acknowledge what it is. God, you're asking me to do the impossible and this is all I have to bring to the party. I have no more grace in my heart to forgive this person. I have, I have no more ability to take on more hours, to make more money, to provide these things. I just can't. I'm at an, I, I got nothing to give. Can you identify what that is and say, God, here's where it is. I have no more than. And to put that before the Father, because that's what these men do. They go, Jesus, look, we have no more than, two, than five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless you want us to go into town and buy food for all of these people, what you're asking us to do is impossible. What does Jesus say? Verse 14. For there were 5,000 men. And he says to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. Hey, you want us to do the impossible? We have nothing to offer other than five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus goes, all right, then here's what I want you to do, guys. Have them sit down in groups of 50. And he's not addressing the problem. We still only have five loaves of bread and two fish. It doesn't matter how many groups they sit in. We don't have enough food. But look what the disciples do. They do it. So the disciples had them all sit down. Verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, being Jesus, looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all, the entire crowd, all 5,000 men, ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. What was picked up? 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, if you do the math, uh, 5,000 men broken into groups of 50, it's 100 groups. That means each disciple served at minimum eight groups of men. Eight different trips where they walk over and go, here's your food, guys. They walk back to Jesus, and they get another tray of food to take to another group of 50. Imagine what's going through their mind when they go, well, wait a minute. All we had was five loaves of bread and two fish. And I just fed 50 dudes over here, and now I'm about to feed another 50 here, and I get to do this eight times over. Imagine what they're thinking as they're making these trips back and forth. Look at what God is doing. This is unbelievable. And then did you catch the number? All 5,000 men eat till they cannot eat anymore. And what are the disciples then asked to do? Hey, guys, why don't you go pick over what's left over? How many did they pick up? 12 baskets, one little basket of leftovers for each disciple to take home with him that night 
and to go, you remember when we looked at Jesus and he told us, he asked us to do what we didn't think was possible. And we looked at him and said, we only have this. And now I'm looking at a basket of leftovers after we just fed 5,000 people. And now we each get our own little reminder of God's abundant provision. I don't want this to sound like a, like a joke because it, it could if you're not connecting the link here. When I look at my daughter, Maddie, she is a living, walking example of my basket of leftovers from God. Because when I sat there and said, there's no way, this is not, this cannot happen. God did what I didn't think could be done. And I see her every day. And I go, God, thank you for the way in which you've provided. There are times throughout the, out the weeks and the months where I will get a text from, she's in my phone, his little buddy, it'll come up. There she is. Dad, I love you. Dad, I'm thinking of you. And though I know it's coming from my daughter, there are many times where I don't stop and think, God, thank you. Because though she might be the one thumbing these words into her phone, I know that you are the reason to send this message. And it's a reminder to me of God's provision. Guys, the second thing I would love for you to fill out on that little sheet, or if you're just taking notes, or if you just want to wrestle and think about this, is this. What is your basket of leftovers from your life? When life comes and it hits the fan and it is tough, what are those things that you look back on in the past and go, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have nothing left to offer here, God. But I remember when you did this before. I remember, this is, this is my little take-home bag of remembering God's abundant provision everywhere I go. What is that for you? Do you have stories like that? Are you sharing stories like that? I thought about it. It was too cheesy in my brain, but maybe it would have been a good idea of just getting a bunch of Big Mac things, little clamshells, handing them out. Put these somewhere in your house and every time you feel overwhelmed by something and you go, God, I can't do this, write it down on a sheet of paper and stick it in that leftover container as a reminder of God's abundant provision. Because God's in the business of, of taking our, God, I have nothing else to offer and him showing up. But here's, here's where I want to be real quick. Let's make this, this line of demarcation. This is not prosperity gospel time. This is not, man, I need it, so I'm going to put it in my little clamshell box and go, all right, God, here it is. Work your magic. Give me my, take my five loaves and two fish and win the Powerball. <sighs> not how this works. We've got to trust in the goodness of God whether we get what we want or not. Many of you guys know, um, and some of you don't, but if you do, you're about to find out. Uh, the journey my family has been on for the last 11 months with my little brother, Corey. Uh, Corey has, has contracted an incredibly rare uh, bone marrow disease. And his, his body has stopped producing good blood. He's been getting blood from the blood bank about three times a week for the last 10 months. Um, I donated some bone marrow to him back in July. Things were going well, and then they weren't, and now they're not. Um, and so the Ewell family has been praying and praying and praying and basically saying, God, we have, we have nothing else to offer us. We just got to trust you. So I stood up here on Thursday night for a Thursday night service, and I said, guys, let me tell you, we are out of control, but God is good because God has found a, uh, an individual who can donate cells to my brother. And on Thursday night, we were excited to say that tomorrow he was going to go in and begin the process of, of starting the transfusion, the thing that he needs to save his life. And then Friday afternoon, we got a call. Hey, the donor is unable to donate. And so we have no options right now. And the Ewell family has gone from 
desperation to excitement back to, God, we got nothing. And so you want me to ask, what would I put down? What is my, I have no more than? I have no more options to help save my little brother than to say, God, what are you, what are you up to? You're asking us to do something that we, can, we, have, we have no ability to move on. And so we sit here and we sing songs of, uh, sitting up here, God is good. Uh, we're going to sing in, in just a second. Uh, I'm trying to remember the lyrics exactly, but um, when you move, you can move a mountain. You've been faithful, you can do it again. Great songs, great promises. Promises that if I'm honest with you right now, I know in my head, but I don't necessarily feel them or believe them because my little brothers die. And can I stand up here and can I say, look, God is good either way. It's true. God is good either way. He's good either way. Even when I don't feel it. And guys, that's where theology becomes really important. Because the time's going to come where you might question the goodness of God because you don't feel it. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the promises of God. If I'm celebrating Christmas with my brother and life is good, or I'm honoring my brother on a stage like this because God called him home, God's good either way, and I need to trust that. But I'm not going to lie to you and say I feel that. I feel God's goodness. I just got to trust it. So I've been praying through and reading a lot. If you, if you are in, ever in a situation like this, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a psalm by David who basically spends the first five verses shaking a fist at God and saying to God, are you going to forget me forever? How long am I going to be left here in my torment? Why don't you hear my prayer? That's where me and God are at. But then the psalmist closes out, David closes out by saying, I have trusted in your unfailing love, and I will cling to your steadfast promises. Because when I visit my brother and I see him in the state that he's in, I don't feel the goodness of God, but I gotta lean on the promises of God and I gotta trust in the promises of God. And whatever God chooses to do, he is good. I don't know where you are at. I don't know what God has you facing right now. I don't, but you know it. And if you're in a season now like we are, let me encourage you. God is good. And though we are going to lay our requests before the Father and say, God, I want you to heal Corey. I want you to make Corey better. I want him to come out of this hospital strong and do all of those things. God, if God gives me what I want or not, it doesn't change the goodness of who God is. So I don't know what you're facing. The last thing I will share is this. Uh, there are some of you here that you hear of Jesus, you hear of, of what God's doing. We sing songs about God's goodness and maybe you're like me except you don't have a category for who God is. You just question whether God exists, whether God is real, whether God is good and you look at life and you look at all the stuff happening in the world around us and you go, if God's so good, why this? Let me tell you, you are in a great spot. You're in a great place to ask those questions. And there's not a question that you could ask a pastor at this church. There's not a question that you could ask the God of the universe that he's afraid to answer as long as you're willing to lean in and seek God for the answer. And so if you were here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you look at your life and go, God's asking a lot of me and you just don't have the category to know that he is with there with you, let me share with you the beauty of what we call here the gospel. The gospel is simply this. 
God loves you. The God of the universe is madly in love with you. But you, just like me, you are a sinner. You have done stupid stuff. You've made bad decisions. You've been selfish. You can call it whatever you want. The Bible calls it sin. The Bible says that's sin. When God says you do this and we decide to go, nah, we're gonna try this. That's sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but eternal death. That's why when you read the word of God, if you, if you study the word of God, you, you realize that Jesus and other authors begin to describe this place called hell, eternal torment, separated from God. That's where every human being that's ever breathed earth on this planet is headed. And because that's where we're all going, God said, you know what, I need to do something about that. And so he sent this man that we just got done reading about Jesus down here. God in, on earth in human form lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, chose to die a horrific death to pay for my sins and the sins of anyone that choose to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. God saying, enough is enough. I'm gonna send my son to die for you. And so now the, the, the reality is when everything's over and God calls you home or, or, or he comes back for us, we will all kneel before the throne of God and he will ask us simply one question. What did you believe about Jesus? What did you believe about Jesus? Not how many times did you go to church? How much money did you give? Did you serve in the nursery? All great things to do, but in that moment, the only thing that's gonna matter is what did you believe about Jesus Christ? And if you can't with absolute confidence say, I believe Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm a child of God because of Jesus Christ, then today is the day that you need to do business with the Lord. And you need to come talk to somebody at our follow Jesus table. You need to come talk to any pastor up here, anyone on the prayer team. Talk to someone that you came with tonight and just say, I need to know more about Jesus. We have a, a, a class that goes on every single Sunday morning called First Steps. It's an opportunity for anybody that goes, I need to know more about Jesus and I'm taking my first step in figuring it out. Just come with questions. They would love to answer them. Come with anything. But don't leave today without wrestling with what do you do with Jesus? Because here's the promises of God. Those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when life hits the fan and God goes, do this, and we say, I can't, that's when he's in the habit of scooping us up and going, watch what we can do together. And God begins to move because he's a good father. He's our good God. I'm gonna pray for us in just a second. We're gonna close our time singing another opportunity to worship God for his provision and for all the ways in which he continues to work in our lives, but here, here has been and continues to be my prayer for, for you and for me as well. What are those things? Is there anything right now that God might be saying? Lay it down. Can you leave it in here? What is your, I have no more than. I have nothing else to offer. God, I can't anymore. I was talking to a, a, a young lady earlier after the first service, and that was her thing. I'm having a very hard time forgiving this individual that has hurt her in her past. She just feels like God is calling her in this moment. Though she has no strength, she has no word, she has no ability, she has no opportunity to go, I'm gonna forgive them, but just to say, God, here it is, I can't do this, I need you to show up. That's where God does his best work. When we go, here it is, and with our arms open, we just hold on to, hold on to him and see where he takes us. Maybe that's the business you need to do this morning as we sing this last song. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Uh, thank you for your word. 
God, you know my heart, your word, and what you say is the only thing I have to hold on to right now. And so I pray that your promises would continue to be whispered in my ear. God, that you would continue to use my, my church family, my brothers and sisters on staff here to encourage me, to pick me up. And God, I pray on those days when I don't feel your goodness that I would remember who you are. And God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters in this room right now. God, I know there are some here, God, they are thriving and your goodness is so abundant in their life. God, I thank you for that. I pray you would continue to provide heap favor upon your church, upon your sons and your daughters. And God, for those of us that are struggling right now, God, would your favor not relent? Would you use the body of Christ to encourage us? Would you use your word to encourage us? Would you use the worship songs we sing that we hear to encourage us? God, would you whisper in our ears and scoop us up and remind us of what is true, whether we feel it or not. God, would you be all of those things for us? And God, we will thank you for what you are choosing to do and how you choose to move. So God, now I, I finally just pray, I ask, anyone here that needs to do business with you, God, give us the courage to do that. God, anyone here this morning that needs to surrender their life to you before they leave this place. God, give them an unrelenting conviction to speak to somebody before they go. God, do not let us leave this room before we do the business you've called us to do with you. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we put, this, put the words of Lamentation 3 up there. Lamentation is a a book of lament written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet that reached out and called the people of Israel to repent, and they never did. He spent his entire ministry of the Lord asking for something that never came about, and yet he would still write in that, in that book of lament, God, I trust in you. I trust in your faithfulness, even when I don't see any of it coming to fruition, because God is still good, no matter what happens in our lives or in our world. He's good, and he is faithful. And whether we see that on this side or into eternity, he's a good father. Guys, uh, it's been a week here for your pastoral staff, um, as you guys have all had weeks as well. We talk a lot here, and you hear from me often, service is not over till you love somebody. These next few moments, I'm telling you, are life-giving to everybody. If we choose to embrace the fact that God's got us here for a reason, to love and encourage each other. So speak words of life into each other. We got a bunch of, I don't know, burning meat out there right now for you to grab some sandwiches, eat, hang out. Not because we want to feed you, but because we want to be a family together to look each other in the eye and go, man, I love you. And let me encourage you. Maybe some of us can go out and just look for opportunities to share our stories of God's past faithfulness. Might be the encouragement others need to hear today. So be a family. Service is not over till you love somebody. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys all next Sunday.